I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. You know, we know who we're up against and uh, the group and, you know, their, what they've accomplished, uh, especially in the last couple of years. So, uh, like I said, I mean, this is uh, one to enjoy for, for the night and, you know, it's, you know, come tomorrow, the next day. Uh, i got a couple of days here to kind of recharge and, and rest and get ready to uh, refocus because uh, we know they're going to be ready to come uh, game five. James, it was uh, 4-1 in uh, game four and the game looked over. There was like 10 minutes left. And then things changed. Just another comeback, a standard comeback, two and two for the Leafs. What do you think about that? It sort of it reminds you a little bit of that Columbus game, right? Like they, they, yeah. they were down like two, right, in that game, and then they came back. Or were they down three? I think they were down three. No, they were saying I, I was on the Steve Dangle podcast. They were talking about there's only there's been like four comebacks from three goals in Leafs playoff history. I guess that was probably the other one. I guess that was one of the other four. And then the other ones were like in the 30s or something like that. So, Yeah, it, the other one was game. It, they were down 3-0 to Columbus right, in the third period. Right. Yep. And they just... And 1-4-3. <laughs> yeah. And there was like hardly any time left, I think, in that one too when they decided to yeah. start playing again. Yeah. That, I mean, that's what it reminded me of. And the reason I bring that up is it should remind everyone of that. They didn't win that series. So, And no one really gives a shit about that comeback anymore. So as crazy as game four was and as good as it was that they came back and played the way they did it's not really going to matter unless they they find a way to push through here not to be debbie downer 
That was a Debbie Downer. Wow. <laughs> Just like right off the top rope. Well, you said, I mean, so we, we, we didn't, we didn't record the morning after the game because you were traveling back from Tampa and we couldn't make it work. Um, so I think that this podcast is really going to look more forward than look a lot back at that game, really. Yes. But obviously to look forward, we, we also need to look backward, as you know. Um, but uh, your point is, is well made and, and you wrote about this. Uh, you wrote about how the Leafs go about winning game five. So if anyone hasn't seen that yet, go to theathletic.com uh, and check that out. Go to theathletic.com slash sleep report if you want to sign up. Um, there were issues, obviously, in game four. Um, most of that game... Half of that game, you think, is fair? Tampa outplayed them half, maybe a little more? If you look statistically, it was actually... Like, the Leafs were okay in the second period, really. I mean, they gave, they gave up the two goals, but, like, territorially and everything, they looked a lot better. Like, the second period was okay. It's just they got scored on. Yes. Well, and that and, and let's be honest. That fourth goal, he needs to stop that goal. Like, that that that, that shot can't go in, I don't think. Um, Alex Kalorn beats Ilya Samsonov. Um, but I think... I think what we learned in that first period is, is Sheldon Keefe waited a period too long to, to make the changes that we had thought maybe he needed to make going into that game. Obviously, he hinted at making change to some of the forward combinations. Well, the first period uh, was just abysmal. That was one of their worst. That was probably their worst period of the year, right? Like they were just completely dominated. They had nothing. Well, and, and obviously there were issues again with uh, Tavares, Kerfoot, Neander. They changed that up in the second. They start to get going. I thought Matthews like right as soon as that second period started. Um, really had kind of a, I don't know what the word is, like an energy to his game, a motor to his game, like he was going to try to will them back in. Um, but yeah, as you, so, so you wrote about this. So as you look ahead to game five, um, what are some of the changes you think they need to make in terms of their tactics? Well, yeah, that's, I didn't, I didn't look so much at the lineup. Like, I think obviously there's probably going to be lineup changes, right? I mean, even if it's just, For sure. yeah, I mean, and we can get into that later, but the thing I was curious about was not just game four, but game three, they were, the Tampa was really able to control play so well. So, you know, I was asking some, some coaches and, and some, for, some former players and, and media analysts around the league. It's like, what's going on here? Like, why, you know, the Leafs have the advantage talent wise. Tampa's got an injured headman. They've got Chernax out of the game. They're playing Darren Radish 27 or 25 minutes a game. How are they able to control play? And, you know, really the, the biggest thing is that, Tampa's forecheck has just been completely relentless and the Leafs break breakout hasn't been able to make anything happen. And mm -hmm. if you're, as we've seen with previous iterations of the Leafs, like you go back to the Carlisle teams, if you can't break out of your own zone, if you can't break the cycle in your own zone, you're not going to be able to generate anything offensively. You're going to just be sitting in your own end, getting fed chances. And then when you get a chance, you're going to change and then it's going to happen again. And that's really what long stretches of game three and the first period of game four look like. And you know, I think what the Leafs, the Leafs really need to just kind of simplify what they're doing with the puck. It's all, it's almost like they're looking for the perfect play or not even the perfect play. They're looking for the kinds of plays that were available during the regular season. And as Sheldon Keefe said yesterday, there's, there's just not any easy areas on the ice right now. Like there's just everything is being clogged up and they're just going to have to simplify things. And I think it's really interesting that Luke Shen has some of the best possession numbers and expected goals numbers and that of anyone on the team. He's not the guy you would have suspected. And during the regular season, he was near the bottom of that list, but he embodies what I'm talking about and just kind of keeping it very simple, moving the puck quickly, just getting it out and, and starting to move the play down the ice. Cause you look at TJ Brody or Jake McCabe or 
uh, the Giordano Hall pairing, they're really struggling when they're out there. Yeah, I actually think it's it's those two pairs that have, have struggled most in terms of breaking the puck out, which is interesting because you wouldn't have suspected that totally. Obviously, a pair with Riley is going to be able to move the puck. Um, I, I wouldn't expect them to change anything on their defense at this point. Um, even though the, the McKay-Brody pair has had some issues, Riley Shen is, has been their best pair probably. And if you look at the numbers, James, that they basically use the pairs pretty evenly. Like it's not like one, like McKay-Brody's playing the most if memory serves, but it's not like overwhelming. And if you look five on five in the series, this is pretty interesting and, and kind of goes back to last year, five on five. So the shot attempts right now through four games, 217 to 196 for Tampa, but the shots... 100 to 99 for the Leafs. Goals, as you pointed out in your story, 11 to 11. Yeah, I mean it's but but it but it hasn't felt that way because it feels like it feels like if you look zoom out in this series, Tampa has had control for large stretches, the Leafs have had control for large stretches. Like it hasn't been like kind of like back and forth closely contested games. It's like it's either been one or the other. Yeah, that's I don't want people to take away that I'm saying the Leafs have been brutal in this series. I think I think the this series should probably be tied. You know, based on sure. everything, we're like it should probably be two two right now. The Leafs just got a fantastic goaltending performance in Game Three, and 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 that happens in the playoffs. So you're going to win some games that you don't necessarily. You're not the better team, and so they're in a really good position right now. But you know, the results from Game One obviously blow out one way. Game Two a blowout the other way for Toronto. Game Three, Tampa was the better team. Game Four was relatively close because if you look at the second half of Game Four, Toronto was all over them. Like they played, yep. they played really, really well, and they had to. But that comeback wasn't a fluke. You know, some of the goals were deflections and things like that, but they really earned everything that they got there in Game Four. And the Lightning really wilted. And I think that if the Leafs are looking at how they need to play, they're going to have to go back and look at how they played in the second half of Game Four. I wrote about Matthews and Marner after Game Four. That's like it was not their best game, but that's what they haven't gotten at times from those guys in the past where they just haven't come through. Like, it's nice. Like, you go back to last year's series, um, and as the series wore along, they kind of got things going against the, against the Sorelli line, but they didn't always convert. And it doesn't, in a playoff series, like, it doesn't end up mattering if you don't convert. And the, and Sheldon Keefe kind of alluded to that before game four, that you, you kind of need to, like, it. you have to convert. And so Matthews gets that goal off a of, like a brilliant passing play with Neander and Marner and and suddenly like there's there's only 10 minutes left but it's like man like they're they're kind of back in the game when they score that goal are you thinking like hmm this this could get interesting or are you thinking it's 4-2 there's 10 minutes left it's done no i mean it, it, i don't know it just seemed like matthews had something going right like it it seemed like yeah. it, it felt like they were it's like okay 4-2 you've got 10 minutes all you need is one more goal, and then the goalie comes out, and who knows what happens, right? I mean, we've seen it before with this team so many times. Like, they've come back a lot. Think of all their regular season. Like, they've had a lot of practice doing this where they don't start on time. They get down. Normally, it's against, like, Chicago or Philadelphia or something, and they're down two or three goals, and they come roaring back. But they've yeah. we've seen them do this a lot. Of, so, like, you'd be foolish to write them off or to turn the game off at that point, you know, especially with how well the Leafs were playing. I mean, like I said, that they were really, really good in the third period. Well, and I and I thought James, I don't know how you feel, and this kind of goes to Game Five. I thought Marner really got Tavares going. Um, like yeah. Suddenly they put Marner with Tavares and, and Nyes, and suddenly that line started to look a little dangerous. And you saw John Cooper kind of react to that. He started to use Sorelli against those guys as well as the Matthews mm -hmm. line. 
And that's kind of why I like the idea of keeping Matthews and Marner apart because I feel like the way Matthews is going, I don't. It doesn't seem to matter right now who is playing with him. Like I, I think you could even if you wanted to play Bunting and Yarncroft with Matthews, and I still think that line would be dangerous, and that would allow you to kind of. But you want you want to get Nylander going too, right? I mean, like that's well, that's that's the thing. And and as soon as he got with Matthews, he started to get going too because he did like. He did not have a, a great game four. He ended up with three assists. He made some crucial plays, but the the first half of that game, well, that's, that's that was a continuation of game three. Like he just wasn't Neil the Neilander that they need or that they can get. No, I mean when I looked after, I think it was after two periods, Neilander was at like ten percent puck possession or something like that. Like he was spending the entire game in his own end, and it, it was the first goal against right where Neilander his yeah. his man gets in no it was the second goal second against goal. he was in the box for the first goal against yeah well <laughs> so double double strike yeah i mean neander i i didn't think he had a great game 3 and he was even worse in game 4 so but the neander taketh the neander giveth i mean he was so good as part of the rally as well so draws the penalty in overtime yep. helps set up the plays i mean he's a world class player so like that's why i think that don't don't you? That's probably what they're gonna do too, right? Is split up Matthews and Marner, and then if you're down late, you can always put them together if you need it. Yeah. So we're recording this. They're gonna practice in a couple hours from now. Uh, we're recording this before practice. I would anticipate that they'll keep them apart. Uh, I would think you know Neander stays with Matthews, Marner stays with Tavares. Obviously, the big meatball, not meatball, big question mark. Spicy is, is meatball. What, spicy meatball uh, is what to do with Michael Bunting. Whether he gets back in the lineup for Game Five, his suspension is over. Or whether he doesn't, uh, Sheldon Keefe has already said that uh, Matthew Nyes will stay in, which isn't really a surprise based on the way he's played. Um, I don't want to. I don't know if, how deep we should get into this, just because by the time people listen to this, they'll know. I would think he'll get back in, but I was thinking about this. I think what we should just say what we would do, and then like people are going to know by the sure. time by the time this is edited and posted, it, you know, the lines from practice, or unless they like try and play coy or something, but I doubt they're going to do that. Um, I would play bunting, but I don't think I would put him on one of the top two lines. That's what I would do. So that's a little problematic for me because whenever he's not played on one of the top two lines, or not even the top two lines, the top line, not super effective. And you kind of like lose the utility of some of those bottom groups if you put him on it. I guess the only thing I could see is like if you're playing with O'Reilly. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I would do. Yeah. I mean, I, I liked Nyes up in the top six from what I saw. I just think that... I want bunting in the lineup. Like I think sitting him is is crazy. I mean, yes. I'd be I'd be very surprised if they. I don't think they're going to do that. But did you see? I put a poll out. Should bunting come back for Game Five? And only forty percent of Leafs fans said that he should. So that was. It just shows where people are at with bunting. Like he's got to win some hearts and minds back here. So what I would do is this is the lineup I would dress. I would play bunting Matthews Neander. I would play Nyes Tavares Marner. I would play Kerfoot O'Reilly Yarncroc. I'd play Aston Reese. Camp and Achari, mm-hmm. and I and I think especially being at home, you can protect the the bunting Matthews Neander, and obviously Matthews isn't the one who needs protection, but you can kind of play around with those top two groups and get them in really good spots. I think those bottom two units are obviously going to be trustworthy, um, but I think you hit on on really the question with bunting and the question that the Leafs have probably spent the last I don't know twenty four hours considering is like can they trust him. Can they trust him not to do something like he did in game one? Again, I think like if if I were them, I would think, you know what, that's a pretty big friggin' wake up call. Um and and I, I just want his energy. I want his 
his potential to score. I like, I, I think he can potentially draw penalties, but the really tough thing for him is like walking that line between being a pest and causing problems. The Lightning are going to be team. all over him. Like they're going to be tripping him. They're going to be trying to like, their game plan is going to be, let's go to bunting into something here. That's what they're going to try and do. My concern, you put him with Matthews and Marner, or you put him up with in big minutes and he's going to be a distraction when they're out there and he's not going to be focused on what he needs to do. So I kind of want to hedge my bets and play him in fewer minutes, play him down the lineup. And if things are going sideways or he looks like his, his head's not in the game, then he doesn't play a whole lot. Yeah, I guess my counter would be like we have seen time and time again when he doesn't play with Matthews, he's just not that effective. And suddenly you put him with O'Reilly and let's say... Kerfoot or Achari. Kerfoot or Achari. Like I just... Suddenly that line utility defensively isn't there as much because like you don't totally trust bunting to play in those spots. I don't know. Like I, I kind of feel like if you're going to play and play him with Matthews, he was playing really well before uh, he did what he did against Chernak. Um, but, but what you're saying can kind of work in the least favor as well, because like he can be a distraction to the lightning just with how he plays. Like, I mean, as much as he drew the most penalties or took the most penalties in the league. He almost drew the most penalties in the league as well. Yeah. So I mean, it's Keith said he trusts him fully. So, I mean, I, I guess it just comes down to how much you trust him not to do something stupid again. It's just, yeah. maybe it's like watching Kadri do it multiple times in a row. And there's going to be a lot of focus on bunting, which is interesting. I mean, the, the Leafs are in like kind of this position where they can win a series for the first time in 19 years. And here's this player who's been suspended for most of the series. And that's what a lot of people are going to be talking about that going into the game. Obviously, we've seen them in this position before, James, up 3-1 in a series, and they haven't been able to close. Um, is there anything like you take from those past situations, if you're them, and, and try to use going into this game? Like, is there anything that... I think that what stood out in some of those games is like, there was just a tentativeness to their game. They kind of let the action be dictated in some of those situations, as opposed to dictating it. Does that ring true to you? Yeah, I think so. I think that that's right. So you want to take advantage, obviously. Like you want to kind of like you've got this is your game. This is your game to win. Obviously, you don't want to go back to Tampa for Game Six. <laughs> well, I mean, the, no shit, right? I, the thing that would concern me, like if you don't play well in Game Five, you're going back to Tampa, and you also you haven't played great in the last like three games, right? Like you, like you, other than the second half of Game Four. You weren't good in game three. You weren't good at the beginning of game four. And if you're not good in game five, that's a lot of games where you haven't played well and where Tampa is feeling pretty good about their game. You know, I watched, I don't know if you saw John Cooper's media availability on the off day yesterday, and he seems pretty confident. You know, he he, he feels like they should have won one of those games in Tampa and all they need to continue to play the way they did and maybe get another save or two. And they're in this series. So... Tampa's going to come in. They're a veteran team. We just got to win this game. We're going back home. And you put the seed of doubt in the Leafs. So game five is huge if the Leafs can have a better start and and come away with the game. I do want to get to that. I, I should add that I think the candidates obviously to come out if Bunting goes back in are, are either Lafferty or Aston Reese. I'd keep Aston Reese in there and I'd take out Lafferty, but we'll see. Uh, I think the point you made um, about the Lightning is is I think one of the things that would worry me a little bit if I were the Leafs is at some point, like you got to figure Vasilevsky is going to be better than yes. Ben. Like I know Cooper kind of tried to take some of the blame off him, but some of these goals, these are not the kind of goals that Vasilevsky gives up traditionally. Um, but we saw that last year, like in game six and seven, especially obviously we're in game five. He was awesome. And you got to figure at some point he's going to be a lot better than he's been, right? Yes. I mean, with 852 save percentage, like, I mean, it- 
no one would have predicted that coming. He's he's got the worst uh, goals allowed above expected in the whole NHL playoffs so far. You know, and there's there's been some really inexperienced goalies playing, and part of it I think is Vasilevsky's getting exposed because of who the Lightning are playing on the blue line. Like Sergachev has struggled in big minutes. Uh, like I said, Radish, Nick Perbix, Ian Cole. Like their their blue line is just not nearly as formidable as it's been in the past, and that's going to expose a goalie. And I think that that's part of what we're seeing. But also, you can't rule out that Vasilevsky just steals a game here. I mean, it's it, he's he's got that capability. And while he didn't have a great regular season, he did have some games where he stole games for them. Yes, again, his regular season wasn't great by his standards. Um, but to your point, like you look at five on five minutes in the series, the player who has played most for Tampa. Darren Radish by like a hair over <laughs> Mikhail Sergachev like that. And, well, and number three is Nick Perbix. So. And Radish, Radish came into the series 27 years old, had only played 21 NHL games. Like that's yeah. pretty incredible that that's who they're leaning on right now. It just shows that the, the injuries and everything, like they're just not able to absorb that. Well, and I think if you're Tampa, if you're Cooper, you're probably saying to your team, listen, the pressure's on these guys. Like, they have this history. They have this history of not closing. 100%. The pressure is on them to close out the series, not on us. And and all of a sudden, if we can get a game here, we can take it back to our building. And suddenly, there's even a little bit more pressure on the Leafs. So I, so what do you say if you're Sheldon Keefe to your team? I don't think there's any the pressure players. on Tampa, is there? Like, what? No. You know, no. I mean, they've been to three straight finals. They won two cups. If they lose in five games, no one, everyone's going to be like, "What an amazing run they had!" And you know, like, it's just, it's so hard to keep it going year after year. And that's why I picked the Leafs in the series, is because like, there's just you look at the miles on Tampa, and you look at the age of a lot of their key contributors, and it's it's a lot to expect to do that again and again and again. Like the Leafs should win this series. I mean, Sheldon Keith just needs to tell his team, treat this like any other game that we need to win. Like, don't let it get in your head, really, is what the Leafs need to do. They can't they can't Montreal the series away the they did a couple of years ago. They they can't shrink from the moment. So they if they play the way they can, they're the better team and they should win. It's the table is set for the Leafs to win this. Yeah, and I think we'll we'll see it pretty early in the game, like if they come out kind of tight or if they come out just fucking guns blazing like attacking the game i think we'll know pretty early into the game obviously the start doesn't necessarily as we've seen multiple times in this series the start doesn't necessarily tell us anything because like we've seen back-to-back comebacks but to your point like tampa's played like what is it like probably 50 extra games Mm. over these last three playoff runs like that has to matter Mm. they're not going to be intimidated by the moment at all i mean this this is not going to be an easy game I, I suspect, like this series, what we haven't really had is like a two nothing or a two one game, and that's probably that's what I'm expecting. Yeah, and I, I think what we've seen in some of these moments from the Leafs, especially like in that third period, is you've seen some of their guys elevate a little bit, and that's one of the things that that I didn't see with Neander, um, like through games three and four, is like for, well three and a half or halfway through game four, is like I don't think his level had risen to meet the the moment of the playoffs. Like the playoffs are just like a lot harder. Like you kind of really got to dig in and fight for everything. And and that's kind of what you want to see from, not kind of, that's what you want to see from the Leafs if you're rooting for them, if you're their team uh, in game five. We should for a second just pause and talk about Kerfoot obviously getting the OT winner. Really tough season for him. Frustrating season for him. Didn't produce like he thought he could. Um, and obviously he had some issues in last year's playoffs and game six, especially in Tampa. 
Um, so a pretty nice moment for him. And like, as the players alluded to after the game, he is like super popular in that room. That hasn't been talked about a whole lot. Like just like the popularity of Kerfoot. Like he's a guy that gets a lot of crap from the fan base, but in the dressing room, he's, you know, he's a guy that like, you know, Austin Matthews spends time with him. Obviously Riley and he are very close. They've been, they've been friends since they were little kids basically. So, um, you know, Kerf- Kerfoot's like not your typical NHL player, too. Like he, he obviously, you know, his father's a billionaire and comes from a lot of money, and you know, there's those things. But he's also he's just he went to Harvard. He's a very almost quiet, cerebral, studious person. Like he's mm-hmm. there's more players like that in in hockey now than maybe there were in previous eras. But just I don't know, just from like talking to him, it's just interesting that he's so beloved in the dressing room, despite because you know, like you think of someone like Dougie Hamilton and like. He in some dressing rooms he got treated like this weird guy who like wanted to go to the museums and whatever, and I think you might have suspected that maybe Kerfoot would get treated differently just because he is a little bit different. But that's not the way it is at all in the dressing room. No, and if you haven't seen it, Josh Cloak wrote a great story about Kerfoot after that game. And you're right, like he's and even his game is is kind of predicated on just like his work ethic and obviously his smarts. Um, but he's like to your point, James, like he's kind of like a sensitive soul like he's he's hard on himself um i remember talking to him like in i don't know if it was like january february and he was talking about like some of his issues scoring remember he had like a 25 game drought or something like that and it was just like he would get into these situations and he'd say like you think you're not going to score like you think you're going to get this chance and you're going to miss and so for him to be the guy to get that goal and obviously like we haven't mentioned uh morgan riley uh he scores another big goal to get them to overtime after scoring the game winner uh, in game three and we, we've touched on it before in the podcast like he is typically played better in the playoffs and he played 27 minutes in game four uh, had another goal he's got seven points in the series if memory serves twitter yesterday there was some analysis going around of riley kind of like his underlying numbers expected goals and possession and stuff like that regular season versus playoffs and in his career there's been a big difference there and it's there aren't that many players who put up better results in the playoffs versus the regular season, but he's one of them. And it's not just in like points. It's not just eye test. It's like everything really, really pops for him. And it's, it's interesting. And Riley's had a tough year and he's taken a lot of heat from, from fans over the course of uh, this year and last year, I would say. So, but if they end up winning this series, he's a big part of the story. Some really, really key plays in, in big moments. And that's been their best pairing. And I don't think a lot of people would have predicted that coming in. No, that's a good point. And and I guess that the only other thing we should add before we take a break and then get to some questions is Matthew Nye's like it's it's really surprising like just how composed he is and just he's made mistakes obviously uh defensively sometimes with the puck his decision making hasn't been great but like he is on it, he is trying to make plays, he's nearly scored a few times. Uh, like I don't it's not surprising at all that he's going to stay in the lineup and if you had told me that this would be the case Three weeks ago, I would have said, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And obviously, if Bunting doesn't get suspended, like there's a chance he, he doesn't even get this opportunity. So credit to him for taking advantage. It's really incredible just like his level of poise. And I mean, yeah. he's made some mistakes, but I wouldn't say more so than some of the veterans out there. Like he's he fits in really well and his skating's been better than advertised. And he just he just hustles like he's just all in on every play. So, you know, it's. We we all knew that kind of like the physical package was going to be there, but I see a lot more. I see really good hockey sense, 
and and I just see determination and work ethic that's just really really elite. Like it's he's going to be a really good player. Let's take a break and let's dig into some questions. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24/7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, James. Game five on Thursday night. What do you got? Uh, the question most that they most want us to answer is Brett asks, what is John Cooper doing to make the Leafs look like an ECHL team? <laughs> Which gets back into some of the tactical stuff. And it's interesting, you know, like a, we've got a lot of smart listeners, you know, there's a lot of people are answering that question. Uh, Paul says this series is being won and lost in the neutral zone. The Leafs need to find creative ways to come up through the neutral zone with speed and possession. That's a hundred percent accurate. Mm-hmm. Evan responds and says the bolts are breaking the puck out of their zone so easily. The Leafs are way too passive on the ozone and the and the neutral zone forechecks. Again, hundred percent. Part of it's chicken and an egg with this, right? Because your forecheck gets very limited if you're stuck in your own zone. Because once you get out of your zone, you're going to dump the puck, you're going to make a line change, and then the cycle begins anew. So mm-hmm. Tampa's forecheck looks way more aggressive and way more impressive, and the Leafs just really haven't been able to generate a lot of that. So. I don't know if there's anything you saw being in the building or, or listening to the coaches over the last few days in terms of some of what's some of what's happening on the ice there. Yeah, you hit on. Uh, I think it was after Game Three. Sheldon Keith talked about Tampa's puck pressure, like they're just yes. all over it. Yes. And you think of like some of their forwards, and it's not really surprising. Like they have kind of like a really scrappy group of forwards when you just look at them one by one by one. Uh, and yeah, I, I think it was Ryan O'Reilly mentioned the, the Leafs forecheck after one of the games. Maybe it was Game Three. And it just hasn't been there. But like you mentioned, it's like a circular kind of thing. They're like tentative. You can't get one going without the other. Yeah. The Leafs are tentative. Like they're just not. Tampa is like all in, not worried about making a mistake, just super hyper aggressive. I think it was Camp Sharon said to me, and, and I talked to some coaches, assistant coaches around the league. They said like, you, you can't play this way for 82 games in a regular season. Like it'd be impossible. And I think part of what happened in game four is the Lightning just let put everything on the table to get that 4-1 lead. And then. They were a bit gassed late in the game. Like it's, it, it was really, really impressive how aggressive they were and how, how hard they were on the puck. And the Leafs need to get some of that fight in them when they're going into Tampa zone. They need to, because you look at, we talked about already the, who the Lightning have on the back end. They need to put way more pressure on them. Yeah. You know what it reminds me of as you say that? It's like almost like a full court press in basketball. It's like if you tried to do that every game, like your team would die. But if you do that for, a handful of games in a playoff series. Or like, like you a can blitz really, in football, yeah. right? Like it's just yeah, like... Yeah, just blitz them every time. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of what Tampa's doing. You know, it's been very, very impressive. And it's it, it's made players look like TJ Brody, who was so good all year, look really, really ordinary. 
Well, and I think it's it's exposed a little bit Jake McCabe in some of these situations. Obviously, this is his first playoff. He's being asked to play really difficult minutes. He's taken just taken some bad penalties too at times, and his puck play hasn't been great in, in certain moments. And obviously, that pair has had some issues. So we'll see if he can and, and they can kind of clean that up in Game Five. Uh, Matthew says in the second intermission interview, Brandon Hagel said he wasn't surprised Tampa was up four one. Do you think he was surprised by the way the game ended? Did you see that interview? I did not. Hagel was just like the way I, some Leafs fans are picking up on it. Like he was very, very, very confident. But, you know, honestly, I watched it in real time and I was like, he should be confident. He should he should not be surprised that they're up 4-1. I mean, they played a really, really good game to that point. You know, yeah, I, yeah. the Lightning went into the dressing room after the second period thinking we've won this game and the series is tied. And the Leafs took advantage of that. Matthews gets that goal with, what is it, 9.44 into the period, so like just over 10 minutes left. Graham says, uh, Hedman made a comment about how the players may be different, but this team plays the same way, and they showed for most of Game 4 they knew Toronto's weaknesses. Did, can you describe what it is they are exploiting? I think we did some of that, but it's interesting that you look at how many how much the personnel on, on the Lightning is different, and I would say probably weaker than it's been in the past, and yet they can still translate that and I don't know that it was interesting. To, I, I talked to Frank Corrado for the story that I did, and, and he was talking about the different systems. And he's like, he's like, they're trying to do the same thing. It's just that the Lightning are doing it better. Like they they have the same system. They have the same. It's called a one one three in the neutral zone. Like they're it. It's basically like it's sort of like a trap in the neutral zone. But Tampa's just executing on it better. So I don't know. I, I was tempted watching Game Three and the start of Game Four. It's like, well, it feels like the Leafs are getting out coached. But the thing that other coaches were saying and Corrado was saying is that sometimes if the players can't execute on what you're asking them to do, it's not necessarily on the coach. Graham also wants to know, could this be the setup for, this is a different Graham, could this be a setup for the cruelest joke yet? <laughs> Let's, I, I understand why fans are looking ahead, but I, I think it's important that when you and I talk about this, Jonas, that we've seen this so many times to not get ahead of ourselves. Like, I don't, we shouldn't talk about round two. We shouldn't talk about any of that stuff because... Who knows what's going to happen? This series is not over. No, it's it, as Matthew said after game four, like the, the fourth one is the hardest one to win. And we've seen this before. And I mean, you got to be careful. Like after game one, there was a sense like, oh, man, here they've lost a series. And it's like, well, no, it's it's it's, it's one game. Um, so we'll see. Like, we'll see how they're able to, to manage with this kind of pressure on their shoulders in game five. I did what I was looking up, James. I just want to see. I wanted to see Tampa's fourth line. And they're just dominating territorially. Yeah, the Leafs' fourth line is getting destroyed. Like, if you look at some of the possession numbers. And, and yeah, they're getting all defensive zone draws. But, you know, you'd like to see a little bit more from them. And that's what I think, you know, bringing Bunting in and changing the personnel. Like, if they go to Aston Reese, Camp, and Achari, like, that's a pretty darn good fourth line. Well, and, and I think you've got to be careful with some of these underlying numbers in this series. Because I don't know that they've always told the full story. I mean, like, if you look at, like, the expected goals, for example, for Kerfoot, Tavares, Nylander, according to Evolving Hockey, 67%. Maybe that includes power plays or something like that. Like, like at, at even strength, like, the Leafs only have expected goals. I think there was only something like five players that are 50% or higher. And it was, like, the Leafs' for first line and Nylander and Luke Shen, I think, were the, the five players that were there. Yeah, but you got to be careful because they've... they've 
deconstructed these lines a lot in chunks of games. Like even Natural Statric has them at 61%. So like, or 62%. Curtis wants to know for game, he says, game four, is it one of the most important wins in the modern era of the Leafs franchise, given everything that's riding on this playoff series, going up 3-1, giving yourself three chances to win rather than going 2-2. One could argue this is the most important Leafs win in at least the last 10 years, if not more. Only if you win game five or six or seven. Yeah, like we've seen, like, you know, like people were talking, you know, when they came back against Columbus, is that, you know, what an amazing, ridiculous comeback. Doesn't matter. When they went up 3-1 to Montreal, it's like, oh, you know, like the, I remember like covering that series and it's like, you look ahead, they're in the Canadian division. They're going to get Winnipeg in the second round. Like the path seemed clear for them to get through to go deep. And, you know, we were guilty of getting caught looking ahead because Montreal was still in that series and they made the Leafs. And I think, I think some of the people covering the series look a little bit foolish with some of the things that we were writing and saying because it wasn't over. You look at that game six. So there, that's Montreal. They went down 3-1 in that game. And then they came all the way back. Two goals from Jake Muzz and a goal from Zach Hyman. And then 59 seconds into OT. You remember that as well. We remember. So that's not the way you want to start, obviously, game five. Alex says, do you think the Leafs' chances of winning the series are over or under 50-50? <laughs> I mean, they only have to win one game, so over. <laughs> so there's a pessimistic uh, perspective on where the Leafs are at right now. I mean, they, they should win this series. I mean, like if if they, for lack of a better term, choke this one away, it's gonna be it's gonna be the most painful one yet. Really, you, you have a team down and hurt, and you've got two more home games. Like there, there shouldn't be any way you lose this series. No, and it's it's we're going to learn a lot about like how they they're able to handle pressure because obviously that's been an issue in the past and like this there's pressure on them to close this out now, right? Like they're up three one. This is like a really this is as te- like what's the word like uh, playoff tested a team as there is basically in the league today, and now you have to close them out. There's no pressure on Tampa. How do you handle that? And I'm going to be looking at James, like, I'm going to be looking to their best players. Like, I want to see how they come out. Like, I want to see how Matthews, like, if he comes out the same way he came out in the second period of game four, I think they're fine. Same thing with Marner. Like, I think it's interesting. Like, I I was thinking back to that series in 2018 when Marner, remember after game seven against the Bruins, the Bruins all came out. I remember Fluto had a story, basically, that that the Bruins were so impressed with Marner and they were so impressed with Riley and Marner was like 20 at that point. Like he mm-hmm. he was a kid, but he just played so pressure free. Like he, you could feel like he he just he was our best player in that series, series right? Like right? He was, didn't he have like nine points in seven games or something? He did, yeah. And so like if he comes out like that, and you can kind of feel that he's he's not tight or they're not tight, I think they'll be fine, and I think they should win. But it's hockey, right? Like Vasilevsky could just Vasilevsky them and. And and James, I did want to mention something. You'd noted in your story that their their power play was at like thirty three percent, and their power play obviously got a couple goals in game four. But their power play hasn't looked great, and they've really had trouble on entries. Yeah, and I'm going to be curious to see if they can kind of figure something out there because it's not been great. To put it mildly, I mean, I Tampa lines all four of their penalty killers right up on the blue line and dares you to try and go in between them, and the Leafs feel like just keep running into the wall over and over and over again. Yeah, like you think if you could gather speed and do like a soft chip in behind them that you should be able to get it i don't know it's 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 another example of the lightning just being very very aggressive in their what they're doing tactically and it's 
it's impressive how well it's worked. Uh, Michael wants to know, I'm just wondering, are the players who are injured in the dressing room with the boys soaking in the big wins? He's he's wondering about, is, is Muzzin, Matt Murray, and Nick Robertson around the team right now? Did you see them in Tampa? So Muzzin is, Murray was not there from what I saw. Robertson was not there from what I saw. Uh, and then it's just the the scratches who were there. Simmons. Um, so it's like it's, Timmons, Lilgren. Yeah, exactly. And so it's fun. It's interesting. Like they they basically watch the game from the same place we did in Tampa. Um, and so you're watch like you can see them kind of reacting in real time when the Leafs get back into games and like they're excited. And yeah, I don't know. Like it's it's interesting that Muzzin is continues to to be with them all the time. Obviously. He's one of their leaders, even though he's not playing. And it's interesting that they've kind of kept him around, uh, even on the road in the playoffs, because he was on the road throughout the regular season, but he's still there watching, counseling. Well, it feels like he's going to move into some sort of a front office role or something when uh, when his career winds down. Yeah, I don't know what his... Like, I was thinking about that. Josh and I were talking about that. Like, I wonder... Front office doesn't feel like the thing for him to me, like player development coaching, or something. Yeah, coaching yeah. or player development kind of feels like the thing, but we'll see. Matthew says, unlike in game three, the Leafs deserve this one. They won the shot count, expected goals. They looked terrible in the first, better in the second, dominant for the last 15 and 10, 15 in overtime. Tampa lost their ability to forecheck and hand the Leafs in. It's true. I mean, but I, I that doesn't give me, I, I don't know what we're going to see in game five though. Like I don't, I don't know which version of the Leafs we get. I mean, hopefully there's some lessons learned about the way they played at the end of game four and they bring that, but I, I'm sure that that's the message from Sheldon Keefe. Well, do you believe in momentum game to game? I don't. It doesn't. I mean, look at this series. Like how much momentum has there been game to game? Yeah. Yeah. Lots of questions. Jack wants to know, have we solved a Vasilevsky shoot from the point and you're good? I know NHL front offices aren't all that brilliant, but did it have to take years to figure this out? I mean, Sheldon Keefe was asked this question yesterday. I'm sure you saw the avail, Jonas, and he basically said, like, we have all the data and everything like that. But this, you know, it's not as simple as just like looking at, I think people are like boiling it down to be more simple than it is. I mean, Vasilevsky, other teams would have scouted him for years. Like, it's not like there's like some secret that's been unlocked here. It's very interesting, though, on the broadcast that a former Lightning assistant coach is like, giving out state secrets about how they were worried about point shots and Vasilevsky and, you know, Derek Lalonde's coaching with a rival team in the same division. And then he's on the broadcast saying things like that. Like, I'm sure the lightning are not super pleased to see that out there. There's probably a bit of flukiness to some of these goals too. No. Yeah. I mean, I, with some of those shots from the point, you're just kind of like hoping you get a tip or hoping you get a rebound. I mean, that's what Sheldon Keefe said. Like this, it's not, it's not all science. Like you're not going to, it's not like shooting three pointers or something like the percentage you're going to score on those is, is relatively low. No, but like I should say like one of the things that, that Riley has done well, and he hasn't always done this well, obviously is just get the puck to the net, like get it through and just see what happens. Right. And and you look on that, that fourth goal in game four, like they've got Tavares right in front of the net and he doesn't see it. Right. Eno says, are we in the upside down? What do you think, Jonas? Are we in Bizarro World? Have we crossed over to... Someone else asked if we're in the multiverse and this is the version of if Shen stayed with the Leafs the whole time in his career. (laughs) (laughs) Did you see all those things? Did you see Stranger Things? I saw the first season and then that was enough for me. Wow. That's surprising. That's like right up your alley. I'm surprised you haven't dug in. It's Eh, good. eh, I don't know if it's right up my alley. 
I kind of I like like uh, it's sci-fi. I know it's sci-fi, but I I like like more I think harder core sci-fi than that. That's kind of like pop culture. What about everything everywhere all at once? Yeah, that was good. That was good. I think we've talked about that on the show, haven't we? I think we have. Yeah. Yeah, we kind of got away from our movie analysis. I know people complained they didn't really like some of our pop culture takes. Well, you haven't seen enough of the the current. Uh, I mean, you Continue, haven't. James. You haven't seen anything before two thousand five, so it works out okay. That's really not true. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> I haven't seen all your sci-fi movies before two thousand five. But anyway, go ahead. You're like Blade Runner. What's that? Two thousand one. I, I don't. I watched that. Didn't like it. Go ahead. You didn't like what? Blade Runner. Yeah, it's too. Friggin' weird. <laughs> uh, well, you like Total Recall, so it's okay. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> You're getting heckled in the comments. Adam is asking the same question again. Has Samson not proven he's up to the playoff task for the Maple Leafs? No. I mean, I we, mean, he, we, like we have to see. It's like he wasn't the, good in game one, and then he's been good. He wasn't great in game four. Like that, that fourth goal again. Like that. That's not like that could lose them the game. Like they're. He's been fu- like he was great in game three. The other three games, he's been just fine. Game three too. There was that goal that from that got pulled back that because of the quick whistle that you know yes. like they, they they could have been in trouble there if they were down four two instead of three two. He has an eight seventy six save percentage in the series. Let's kind of cool it a little bit. Thomas wants to know what's with all the goals from a tip in front of the net. Is it me or have there been more than usual? Is this luck or something the Leafs have been working on more? They're doing it because Sheldon Keith pointed this out. Like they're ha- they're having a hard time getting to the front of the net. So most of the shots that are available right now against Tampa are those long shots, and then you try and get someone in front and get a tip. And it just so happens that the Leafs, like we're seeing how good the hand-eye coordination of Austin Matthews is, and to a lesser extent, uh, a Kerfoot and and you know Ryan O'Reilly's good at that. Like they've also, you know. Some of the personnel they have are are good around the net. I think like Nyes has looked really good tight around the net. O'Reilly, uh, Aston Reese to some extent, Achari. Achari scored some big goals. Yeah, he's got two goals in the series. Well, and I know Kyle Dubas does not like the the, the idea of a playoff style goal because I remember asking him after they got, I think it was after they got Lafferty, and it, he kind of like alluded to the, the types of goals that him and Achari score, and I brought it up and like I know he doesn't like that term, but I think there is a type. Like the, I know they've anal- they've analyzed this and they don't think there's any difference, but th- I think there's a difference between some of the types of goals you score in the playoffs, and a lot of them are just like those types of goals, right? Where you're just kind of creating havoc in front, or you're firing a point shot. You're just like, well, let me ask you this, Jonas: How many breakaways have the Leafs had in this series? <sighs> Not a lot. I mean, remember I don't during think the regular season, had any. it have felt they? like Neilander would get one a game. How, um, yeah. How- how many two-on-ones have they had in this series? Not a ton. I mean, some of the damage that they have done has been on those rare chances off the rush, but yeah, you're right. Even when they, they have a rush chance, it feels like it's like a three-on-two, and it's not... Yes. The Leafs have given up some breakaways and some two-on-ones, and that's where they've needed Samsonov, but I don't think the Leafs have gotten very many. No, I think you're right. Uh, this is a good question. Maybe we can close it on this, unless you had anything else you wanted to get into. Scott wants to know, what do we think about Justin Hall? I think going to 11 and 7 is best. Get Lilligren in the lineup. But you have him for the penalty kill if you need it. Sit Lafferty and Bunting. Your thoughts? I mean, I don't think they're going to sit Bunting. Some people are asking about potentially because they're having trouble in the breakout, maybe bringing Lilligren in. Um, and people are down on Justin Hall, especially after that one goal that Kaloran got on the power play where Hall wasn't covering him. Where are you at on, on where Justin Hall's at? And, and if there's... Anything that they need to change there? 
Yeah, that that wasn't great. Like he just gets he's kind of it looked like he was kind of paying so much attention to I think it was Stamkos. Yeah. In his shot. They said and on that, the broadcast he was cheating to yeah. Stan, yeah. You well, got Stamkos and Kucherov. Understandably like, so, yeah, right? Yeah. But yeah. but that pass also like Brody also ideally is getting a, a stick on that pass, right? Like and and Kucherov is fucking brilliant. Kucherov stuff. He's he's a genius at like making a shot look like a pass and a pass look like a shot. Like you never know what he's gonna do with the puck. Like that's he's so good at that. He's one of the best players in the power play, I think, ever in NHL history. Yeah, he is. Uh, well, and I think their their worst pair probably so far has been Giordano Hall, probably. Yeah. Um, well, you look at the so minutes, like, they're getting dialed down too. Like Giordano's down to like 18 minutes a game average. And that's even and with, with that's, the overtime in there. And I think that's that's probably right. And and you look in game four, Riley plays 27 minutes. Obviously, that's overtime. Brody is down like at like 20, what is it? So Brody's at 22. McCabe is at 21. Giordano is at 17 and change. Hall is at 17. That feels like right. I'd keep him in the lineup for now. And I think they will. You bring Lil Grin in. I'm not sure what version of him you're going to get. Like he, there were some struggles after the trade deadline for him. He hasn't played in a while. Yes. I don't know. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a Lil Grin fan, but it would be a lot to ask him to step in right now. Yeah. Game five all of a sudden. Yeah. I yeah. see it. Yeah. All right, James. Uh, so game five is on Thursday. If there's a game six, that would be on Saturday. So we'll see when our next podcast is. Um, but it will be soon. We'll have lots to talk about. I can promise that. I already know what's going to happen. I've gone into the multiverse. You know what's going to happen? Wow. Something is going to happen. Well, you should just write what's going to happen and post it on our site. That'll sell a lot of subscriptions. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen the future. Predict the outcome. And then if you get it right, everyone will everyone will call you an idiot, and then they'll see that you got it right. Yeah, perfect. Okay. Uh, well, James, thank you uh, for our chat. Uh, thank you to everyone for listening. Go to theathletic.com slash leaf report to sign up. There's like tons of great stuff. Uh, Down Rose Brown had a great story after game four. I wrote, Josh wrote, you wrote. There's tons of stuff. There's Pierre had some great stories from Tampa. Wrote a great one about Corey Perry. Um, so, yeah. Go check that out and uh, we'll be back soon. Thanks, James.